You're listening to Lanyap, a weekly digest of news, personal finance, brotherly banter, and whatever else is on our minds. From Stokes Family Office. All right, Doug and Greg Stokes with Lanyap Podcast. Uh, it is June the 1st and uh, starting to feel like summer here in New Orleans. It's actually been a pretty awesome a few months from a weather perspective, but uh, anyway, it's starting to get hot. Um, wanted to start this week's podcast off with uh, just a continuation of something we talked about last week. Uh, if if you recall, Greg, uh, when we when we talked on Friday, Thursday or Friday last week, one of the discussion points was around how markets tend to uh, go through periods of uh, this sort of contraction or sideways sort of movement as as a spring coil, so to speak. And I reference uh, the 2014, 2015, early 2016 period as sort of the last time where markets really didn't do anything before they springboarded forward. And uh, it's funny that uh, right after we had that discussion, an article came out by Nick Majuli, who writes a blog called Of Dollars and Data. And he actually, I, I guess, was thinking along the same lines and um, and actually did the research on this. Uh, and so he actually put, puts the data uh, on his page here and talks about uh, periods of sideways and down markets and whether it's bullish or bearish for uh, the stock market on a go-forward basis. Here's, uh, here's just an excerpt from that article. For the 45 months in U.S. history where stocks were down and sideways, they had a median return of 9.1%, including dividends and adjusting for inflation, over the next year. Over all periods, the U.S. stock market had a median return of 8.7%. You can see this more clearly here in a distribution of returns. But the bottom line is uh, when periods of uh, there's a sort of a um, coiling effect in the markets, that's generally bullish on a go forward basis. And then when he says, when we look at returns over the next five years, the effect seems to be even stronger stronger for down and sideways markets. In particular, the mean annualized total return uh, after inflation for down and sideways markets is 7.9% annualized over the next five years compared to 7.2% for all time periods. Um, so uh, just wanted to, reference that an intuition based upon 2014 and 2015 how uh, there's a sort of a range bound market where uh, there's not a, there's a whole lot of action but not a whole lot of growth uh, tends to be bullish the, the actual data suggests that that's the case as well so um, it seems like that's the market we've been in uh, for the last two years yeah and I hope that uh, history plays out and then we get another bull market because it's been a uh Choppy couple of years, and um, but yeah, you're right, and and Majuli's right, and just logically, you would conclude that if you have a down market, then you'd be buying cheaper, um, good companies that that earnings that their earnings typically grow over time. You'd rather buy them at a lower price to earnings multiple, and that conceivably means higher prospective returns. And that's so that logical conclusion is borne out in the historical data as well too. And so hopefully, Majuli's right. Um, I'm ready for uh, the next bull market personally. Yep. So let's talk about what's happened in the last uh, uh, six days since we recorded um, big news over the weekend, uh, which uh, it seemed inevitable, but there was a lot of question marks as uh, sort of the deadline came closer. But uh, a 
Congress uh, came to an agreement with uh, the executive branch. Uh, McCarthy and Biden agreed in principle, the vote I think it was yesterday, um, to pass uh, a resolution on the debt, raising the debt ceiling. Passed, like, there were some concessions. House. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about that, Greg, and and sort of uh, implications for the market and and sort and what we avoided by uh, by not having a default on uh, our U.S. debt obligations. Yeah. So um, if we would have, we, we've already spent the money basically, and the, the whole vote was to approve this the paying back the the uh, expenses that we already incurred as a country. This is something we've we talked about this in the past, but political parties will do this when they're. Um, they're trying to Democrats or Republicans will will use this as leverage to try to get uh, legislation pushed through when they don't have any control, and that's likewise what happened this time. The Republicans were that party this time, but the Democrats have been been that in the past. But in any event, the debt deal, the specifics of the debt deal are the uh, the debt limit. This we're not going to have a vote on this until after the presidential election cycle. So January of 2025, and that was obviously something that the Democrats wanted um, because they don't want to be dealing with this in the presidential election cycle. Um, the uh, the bill cuts uh, non-defense discretionary spending um, and uh, it, it cuts that for 2024. And then uh, in uh in 2025, it limits it to 1% growth. So it's trying to keep spending uh, uh, online. It takes away the, the the most recent legislation that was uh, pushed through by Biden, uh, allocated $80 billion to the IRS. Uh, this particular compromise that the uh, for the debt limit, uh, $20 billion of that, or about a fourth of it, was clawed back. So um, that was a big... Uh, item that they negotiated. Food stamps uh, are another piece that was part of the legislation. Uh, under the prior law, you could be eligible for food stamps uh, uh, from 50 to 54 without, with uh, for those that didn't, that didn't have children at home. Um, this, uh, this law bumped that age up and those people now have to show that they're looking for a job actively. Um, uh, Manchin, Joe Manchin in, in uh, West Virginia got his uh, energy project pushed through. And then there was uh, some some clawbacks of unspent money from COVID that they reallocated to some of these other items that they um, were, were freezing, essentially. So um, all in all, the effect of uh, the negotiation was that uh, 2% of GDP in uh, 2024 will be reduced, meaning that the, the that's what the, the Congressional Budget Office, office estimated. Um, and so all, all at the end of the day, there's some big figures that we just referenced, $20 billion um, with regards to the IRS or $30 billion with regards to unspent um, uh, money for COVID. But if you look at the, the actual nuts and bolts of it, we're, we are the, the total debt of the United States is like $31 trillion. So we're really talking about uh, pennies here. And uh, it really is just, I think, a lot of political noise. But we almost got to the point in which we uh, defaulted on our debt was that we're, we're running, we run out of money in four days or something like that. Today is June 1st. It seems like a whole lot of uh, noise for not a whole lot of uh, uh, actual uh, substantive change. Um, what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, it's, it's, it, well, I think it's just ridiculous how, uh, and this is going it, to, it's also going to become an issue again in, in January of 2025, but I don't even know why we have this sort of, uh, 
discussion every year and the political theater when we're talking about such small numbers on the scale of total debt in the United States. So um, to br bring the country to the brink of default for peanuts in the grand scheme of things is uh, right. It's like it's like arguing over bit. like a you're, you're if you're at a meal that you know you're arguing over a dollar or, or fifty cents of the you know of a hundred dollar meal or something like that basically. So yeah, um, the, I mean my read on this and just reading uh, both sides of the of the house from the from a political perspectives commentary there was um, disappointment on both sides, not getting everything that they wanted. So I would, I am at my take on that is it's probably a good deal when everybody walks away feeling like, um, they didn't get the job done for their constituents. Right. So that is a good thing. The that, that means of, there's compromise. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so, um, you know, not, you know, it depends on where you fall on the spectrum. It's probably not everything that you wanted, but at the same time, um, the alternative was catastrophic, catastrophic for both parties. And so glad something got done. I don't even know why we talk about this because it's so stupid in my opinion to uh, have an arbitrary debt limit that to approve money that's already been spent. Um, but again, uh, that's a, that's an aside. Yeah. I mean, we're the only, it's us and I think Denmark or something like that, or that are the only countries in the, out of like the 192 countries in the world that you have subsequently have to approve the payment of bills that you've already incurred. So it doesn't make any sense. Um, but you know, it is what it is. And, but the good thing is, is that we don't have to think about this for, uh, until January of 2021. So we've got 18 yeah, months, exactly, 19 which months. is great. Um, and, uh, we'll see how the, it's after, it's after a major election. And so, um, you know, who knows what the makeup of the, uh, of Congress and the executive branch will be by then. So, um, just a, there's going to, a lot's going to happen between now and then we're probably going to forget about, uh, the, the debt ceiling, uh, until it's brought up again in, in December of 2024. Right. And so. now we can refocus back on the fed <laughs> and yeah, exactly. uh, other, other yeah. issues of, of the day issues du jour. As they say in France, I want to. Um, <laughs> yeah, I want to talk about. Uh, speaking of du jour, I want to talk about uh, bubble du jour. Uh, what's going on right now, uh, Greg, in in the world of AI? Oh my God, that's so funny. And specifically, uh, specifically, Nvidia. Is it in, in which, Nvidia or Nvidia? Nvidia. Okay. Uh, thank you for the I, clarification. I think, remember when you used to say call it Omicron Omicron? Right, exactly. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think it's Nvidia. Um, so. NVIDIA Corporation was down last year. It was one of the sort of the uh, stocks from the COVID era that that uh, was an original COVID bubble stock that went from in 2019, uh, $45 a share to in 20, November 2021, $326 a share. So not, not bad there. Then went from $326 down to $120 a share by September of 2022. And in the last nine months, it's gone from $121 a share to, I uh, got up to $419 a share uh, last week. And so uh, the, the age of AI is here and NVIDIA is sort of the poster child for um, the craze from an investment perspective that's occurring in that area of the market. And I wanna bring uh, this is Market Sentiment who uh, posted this uh, on May 29th. Uh, this is a, a tweet. It says, uh, NVIDIA, uh, the ticker NVDA, is now trading at 37 times its revenue 
and 202 times its earnings. Now this is the time to remember what Scott McNeely, CEO of Sun Microsystems, told Bloomberg just after the dot-com collapse. And this is relevant for those uh, who were interested in buying like the snowflakes of the world uh, in 2021 uh, that were trading at 100 times earnings. Uh, he said, McNeely said, and I think this was 2001, uh, two years ago we were selling at 10 times revenues when we were at $64. At 10 times revenues, to give you a 10-year payback, I have to pay you 100% of revenues for 10 straight years in dividends. That assumes I can get uh, I can get that by my shareholders. That assumes I have zero cost of goods sold, which is very hard for a computer company. That assumes zero expenses, which is really hard with 39,000 employees. That assumes I pay no taxes, which is very hard, and assumes you pay no taxes on your dividends, which is kind of illegal. And that assumes with zero R&D for the next 10 years, I can maintain the current revenue run rate. Now, having done that, would, would any of you like to buy my stock at $64? Do you realize how ridiculous those basic assumptions are? You don't need any transparency. You don't need any footnotes. What are you thinking? CEO of Microsystems in a statement to Bloomberg 2002. And so uh, looking at uh, NVIDIA, 37 times revenue. He's talking about 10 times revenue back then. Um, absolutely a game-changing company. They basically produced the the chip that is going to be utilized in all the data centers that are processing information for all of these new artificial intelligence systems. But at the same time, uh, at what point does uh, hype get away from sort of fundamentals from a company? Yeah, I mean, it's crazy. 30 plus times revenue for, you know, you never know what's going to happen. The other thing is like NVIDIA does not actually have any uh, semiconductor fabs, meaning like they don't actually manufacture the semiconductors. They outsource that to other entities like Intel or more key, more uh, key is Taiwan Semiconductor is one of their largest um, vendors that they use for fabricating semiconductors. And so there's all kinds of things that can happen with their business model, but they're, they're one of their biggest partners is in a potential conflict zone. Um, so anyway, the idea of paying 30 times revenue for for anything, let alone um, you know any a company that has you know, that their competitors could come and take take some competitive advantage. There's political issues with regards to one of their biggest vendors. Uh, it doesn't seem um, like it makes a whole lot of sense, but it, it's it's the same sort of uh, thing that happened with the the cryptocurrency age. And interestingly enough. The top, uh, this is the top stocks in May. See that you, these are all just going to make sense, but this, I'll, list, I'll read the first one C3AI, which is another AI stock, up 125%. NVIDIA, 36%. AMD, 32%. So Tesla, 24%. Google, 14%. Basically, all of these uh, big companies have some AI bent to them. Um, and I don't know when this is going to this particular bubble is going to burst, or this could be you know who knows what if I'm what if we're completely wrong and AI is going to take over the world and Nvidia is going to their their valuations can be justifiable. Well, that could easily happen as well too. But um, if history is any guide, I'll take the other side. I'll take the other side of that. Right, I'll take this other side. Um, of this that. is this is Charlie 
Charlie Bolello, December of 2020, he said, at the peak in Mar- March 2000, Cisco was the largest company with a market cap of greater than $500 billion. It traded at 39 times sales, which was considered extreme at the time. Uh, that He said this right after saying Snowflake closed today at $107 billion market cap with a price-to-sales ratio of 219 times. This was December of 2020. Um, other big... Big tech names in 2000, Microsoft 31 times, Qualcomm 30 times is all times revenues, Oracle 27 times, Intel 17 times, um, AMAT 16 times. Um, the I want to go back and look at Cisco's uh, history, price history going back in 2000, March of 2000. It traded at 77 times, I mean, it's $77 per share um, in May of 2023, it's at $50 a share. And so uh, the problem with paying uh, 30 times revenues and and you know, is the fact that the company at, at, over time matures and has to grow into that valuation. Uh, Cisco still has not grown into its valuation from 23 years ago. Yeah, I mean, it's it's crazy. I mean, that's the dot-com era or the uh, cryptocurrency era or whatever it's or you know if you look further back at the lens of human history we were doing the same thing with railroads in the 1800s and bicycles bicycles in the 1900s and, and breweries in the 1700s yeah. and i mean it's just there's it's just a human nature thing and you can make money off of these things i mean assuming this is another bubble i mean who knows if it is or not like we said it's just a it's just a uh you know remains to be seen but like you said you'll take the other side of that bet but um the fact of the matter is, is that we are uh, geared to, to where our, something in our DNA is geared towards FOMO. I mean, fear of missing out is the acronym if, for those that, that don't know it. And to the extent that there's something that, that is going to, that's blowing up from on a positive standpoint, uh, we as human beings want to participate that in, in that. And this seems like one of those other types of issues um, super interesting to watch. People can make a lot of money on it. It's really hard to do to make money in a bubble, um, but there are people that do. Like a, you, you more, more, most of the time, you see people that participate in these things that make a fortune, and they get religious devotion to it, and then they ride the the wave back down, and and their fortunes. Really or bad. or somebody like uh, uh, George Soros once said that anytime he sees a bubble, he rushes to buy it. Uh, and but he's just got a different. And the whole whole idea there is that he buys it and sells it, uh, and and basically is a short term uh, trader. His time horizon is you know days or weeks and not years, and he's getting in and out of positions all the time. And uh, and so from the perspective of us, when when our 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 lean is towards long term buy and hold uh, type philosophy, you know, buying something that trades at that sort of multiple doesn't really make sense for people that are going to hold for you know, five, 10, 15 years. Yeah. But I'll tell you what, if it, as of now, it's, it is really interesting. Like it's going to definitely take some people's jobs. Like I was, I was, uh, I was interacting with this guy that has a job that is essentially that he is a, a he checks the grammar on books before they're published and this type of thing like AI is perfectly geared towards taking that sort of job away because you can apply. I mean, for those of you who have not tried it, it's super interesting to go to chat, just Google chat GPT and ask a, the, the system a question and it comes up or, or to do something very superficial, but also quite, quite interesting. Like you can ask 
chat GPT to, to write a Shakespearean poem about your wife or whatever. And, and it's, it comes out pretty, you know, pretty on point. And yeah. so anyway, it's really you, interesting you, technology. It's at, it's at, is that something you would share or, uh, <laughs> just depends on what chat GPT I, comes back. Yeah, I don't know if I would share that, but <laughs> the, I actually, as you were, uh, as, uh, as you were, you were typing or as you were talking, I was trying to, to, to create a poem about the, uh, about, uh, this particular issue might possibly being a bubble. Um, but I've reached my limit on chat GPT. I must've been saying my, my wife too many, uh, Shakespearean poems. Uh, <laughs> about her, but, uh, but yeah, so it's really interesting, the technology. And if you look at the, where it can take us and in, in terms of eliminating some of these really, um, sequence type of, of tasks, or like, for example, like call centers or, and, um, and grammatical review, et cetera, you can have a computer that can think through those things very superficially. And you can probably, you can take that to the next level with a lot of other type of system, systematic jobs that a machine could do. Um, and you wouldn't have to pay a human being. And so there, there, this could be a huge change in technology, which it probably is, but the, the picking the winners and losers are paying uh, 30 plus times revenues for any particular company. is just such a, such a tall task. And I just don't see it. Um, but if you happen to have AI in your name right now, like C3 AI, like who knows what they actually do. Um, then you're you're you know killing it right now. Um, and yeah, we ha we haven't reached the phase yet where companies start re rebranding and re changing their name to dot AI. But as soon as we get there, then um, you know we're we're nearing the top. Um, so Greg, what do we want to switch to next? Well, so we talked. We've thankfully we can stop talking about the debt ceiling. So uh, the only right. thing left to, to I guess not the only thing, but the one of the big issues that's sort of confronting us as market participants at moment at this moment is um, the Fed. And so the last Fed meeting took place in uh, May, and they they basically raised one time and and signaled to the market that they were going to pause. Um, What's come out since then is the the, the economy is surprisingly uh, resilient, specifically in that the the Fed raised rates at a fa at the highest fastest clip that they've ever done in history. Meaning they raised from basically nothing to to five to five point two five percent, which it is presently, and a little bit more than a year. Um, and the market and the overall just economy, the market's not held up that great, obviously, because the market's from its peak is down still like 10 or 15% or something like that. But the economy itself has proven to be quite resilient in the face of higher interest rates, which cause higher costs, et cetera. Um, there are some sort of cracks that are showing in the housing market. Um, I mean, if you look in New Orleans, for example, New Orleans seems to be under the microscope all the time related to any sort of economic issues because, um, just of our, our, you know, the demographics that exist here in terms of the economy, et cetera. But the, the, the housing market in New Orleans has really kind of suffered. Um, it has suffered as well too on the West coast, but it's held up pr pretty nicely, um, on the East coast, um, and, 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 uh, the, the central part of the country. Um, the, then the, what the fed ultimately does next in their June meeting is going to be something that drives the markets in the short term as it stands right now. The markets are pricing about a 30% chance of them raising rates at that meeting, uh, 60 plus percent chance of them uh, kicking the can and potentially raising at the next meeting. Well, you and I have talked about this at length that they're most likely 
Um, they've most likely already done more than they need to, but it's just, the problem is they look at data that's stale, um, and th that's really the sort of issue. Yeah, this is this is Mark this is Mark Zandi, who's the chief economist at Moody's. Uh, he wrote yesterday afternoon. Fingers crossed, the debt limit drama is almost behind us. It's thus time to turn back to taking the pulse of the fragile economy. Company level data. Moody's collects on business-to-business -business sales signals a significant weakening in March, April. Year-over-year -year sales are down. Sales are weak across lots of industries with more than one-half experience in B2B sales declines. Transportation, manufacturing, financial services, and single-family construction are weakest. Professional and educational services, healthcare, and recreation are holding up best. A few things for the data nerds to consider. Seasonally adjusting is hard to get to get right given the pandemic swings in the data. B2B sales are nominal and not real. And we estimated total B2B sales by weighting industry sales using their share of value add in the economy. I've been monitoring the B2B sales data since the pandemic, and I'm increasingly of the mind it provides a timely, accurate read on the economy. And it's currently telling a compelling story that the economy is growing well below its potential and even threatens to stall out. Another good reason why the Federal Reserve should pause its rate hikes at its upcoming meeting, fingers crossed. So uh, Zandi, who uh, um, runs uh, the sort of the economic desk at Moody's, which is uh, the one of the two rating, really, two major ratings agencies. Um, he's been calling uh, even before this for pauses. Uh, it, it seems the, the Federal Reserve is starting to move in that direction. And so uh, we'll see what goes. Uh, when do they meet, Greg? Is it next yeah, week? Yeah, next week. And then jobs comes yeah. out, I think, on is it tomorrow. So that, that's going to be a big data point. Yeah. So the job the jobs data is going to come out, which is, that comes out super strong. And the Fed's going to want to raise. And But the other thing that is... And this, to, just to highlight on the bank side of the equation, this is, I think this, I thought this was really demonstrative from, this is from Lawrence McDonald. If you want to try to process the duration interest rate risk situation on banks' balance sheets, in 2020, Apple sold this 2.4% bond due in 2050 at, for $125 billion bond issuance at 100 cents of the dollar at that point in time in 2020. It was, they sold this bond. It was at 2.4% interest. This thing is now worth $0.64 cents on the dollar. Now think of this in commercial real estate loans, 75 basis point U.S. treasuries, and mortgage-backed securities. So um, there's still a lot of, um, there's a lot of, under the surface, there's a lot of things that that would be um, disinflationary, like the entities that were, are holding these things are certainly not going to want to um to issue more debt because their actual balance sheets are not looking that clean. Um, so there's still a needle to thread, um, and that's going to be interesting to watch what happens related to specifically what the Fed does and also what happens to the economy on the whole and, and entities that are holding these sorts of um, bonds and paper. And um, that's really what's going to, I think, going to drive the market in the short term of the of the things that we're, that we're even aware of. I mean, like we've talked about this at length, where there's the there's a variety of factors that influences market prices, the ones that that come to bite you, so to speak, are the ones that you're not nobody's thinking of, like the war on Ukraine or COVID or whatever. This is what everybody's thinking of right now. But the, that's really the reason why it, it makes sense to have an asset allocation and a plan that takes into account that you you may not not want to touch your your stock portfolio for a while, but because it could get choppy because there's all these unknown factors and known factors. 
Um, and that's really the the uh, the whole logic behind having an asset allocation and a plan and diversification, et cetera. Um, so interesting things going on. Um, glad to have this particular debt ceiling discussion behind us. And so we don't have to listen to uh, the haranguing of uh, negotiations in Washington for the time being. I would be surprised if they they vote on any uh, any further legislation for the remainder of Biden's term. Um, but we shall see. But never a dull moment in our world. Um, Doug, do you have anything else to add before closing us out? Nope. Uh, hope hope you enjoyed this episode. Share with your friends. Uh, continue to give us uh, five star reviews and and comment. And hopefully uh, get us get us out there even more. I think our um, listener count has been accelerating rapidly, and we're trying to meet and uh, and reach more and more people. So I uh, appreciate all the help there. All right, guys. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Lanyap. This podcast is brought to you by Stokes Family Office. If you liked this episode, consider sharing it with a friend. You can subscribe to future episodes in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information about Stokes Family Office and Lanyap, visit us at stokesfamilyoffice.com. The information in this podcast is educational and general in nature and does not take into consideration the listener's personal circumstances. Therefore, it is not intended to be a substitute for specific individualized financial, legal, or tax advice. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making a final decision.